0: seen in our several weeks in James already that James pushes us to examine our lives. He's pushing us to ask the question, are we walking in faith? Are we living out what we claim to believe? He knows that following Christ in this world is hard. So he gives command after command after command to help us tackle the practical issues of life so we know what it looks like to live out our faith, to walk as followers of Christ. He began by showing us how we were to view trials in a very general sense not telling us any specifics. He says, when the hard times come, you can look at them with joy. Not because of the hard times themselves, but because God will bring good out of the hard times in the lives of his kids. So we can find joy even on the hard days. He then turned last week and showed us how that was possible. Because he doesn't tell us just to try harder to get the right attitude. He invites us to ask God for wisdom. And God promises, like we saw last week, to give us the wisdom we need to live for Him, whether it's a good day or a hard day. With that foundation laid, James is going to start tackling a bunch of life issues, from our tongue to partiality and so many things. But where is he going to start? He's going to start with the topic of money. So why in the world of all the life issues that James could apply to these principles of seeking wisdom for, why would he start right here? I think because James knows that money reveals our hearts. There's not much that shows our hearts, much like how we approach money or the lack thereof. Friends, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, our attitude to money shows what's on the inside of us. When I talk about money, I'm not just speaking about cash or bank balances. I'm talking about those things, but anything that money can buy. Our homes, our cars, our technology, our clothes, our entertainment, we could go on and on. And James is going to speak about that. The very first life issue he addresses, after giving us the parameters of life can be hard, but ask God for wisdom through it all, the first one he's going to tackle is both money. Both when it's lacking, and when we have it in abundance. Because friends, in a sense, the lack of money, and the abundance of money, are both trials in different ways. Both those test us in different ways, and both reveal what's on the inside. And so before we get to the text this morning, I want to give us a question to guide our thinking this morning. I believe this is the question the text demands of us today, and it's simply this. What is more important to us, knowing God or having the things of the world? For instance, what is more important to us, knowing God, being in a relationship with him, dividing his grace, growing in the knowledge of him, abiding in him, or accumulating the things of the world? Now, I'm not looking for the church answer, because I know every one of you could give me what the right answer is supposed to be for this. But when I look in my heart and you look in your hearts, what do our desires, what do our affections, what is how we spend our time and our money, what does all that reveal about what really is the most important thing to us? Knowing God or having the things of the world. And by the things of the world, I'm simply meaning material things. Things like we just mentioned, monies, cars, technology, our clothes, our toys, our collections, our entertainment, all that falls under the things of the world. Now those things are not bad, friends. We're not saying those things are bad. And wanting those things is not necessarily bad either. The question is, what are our heart's affections? Because a desire for those things can become sinful. So James is going to tackle the heart here, because there's a real danger for Christians then and now to be lured away from longing for more of God to longing for more stuff. There's a real danger of being lured away from delighting in God to delighting in things that the world has to offer us. And friends, when we do that, we end up with what James warned us about last week, Verse number eight, I'll have it on the screen. You can look back in your copy of God's Word. We saw this last week. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's very possible, friends, for followers of Christ to be double-minded when it comes to finances and money and material things. Now, remember last week, to be double-minded is when we say we have faith, but we're not willing to let go of the pleasures of the world for the sake of discipleship. Again, double-minded is when we say we have faith, but we're not willing to let go of the pleasures of the world the sake of discipleship. So in this first issue that James tackles of money, there's a danger for us of being double-minded, saying, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but we're not willing to let go of the pursuit and the love of material things and wealth for the sake of knowing God. And so James is going to push us to rethink how we view earthly things. Now let's look for that as we look in God's Word. Can i ask you to stand, please, and honor the reading of the Word of God. Look at James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 this morning. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. His flower falls, and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful that your word tells us who you are and who we are, and Lord, how you want us to live. But we're so grateful that you have in your kindness have not hidden yourself from us. You've not left us wondering what your will is, but you've made it very clear for us. And I pray this morning, God, your word would come alive for us. You would give much grace, Lord, as we study your word, Lord, that you might free us, Lord, to, from the things that distract us, Lord, to focus on knowing you and to delighting in you more than anything else we could pursue in this life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And James wants us to look at the question of what is most important. What are our affections drawn to? Knowing God or having the things of the world. To help us evaluate our lives, he's going to give us two paradoxes. If you don't remember paradoxes from high school English, a paradox are two things that appear contradictory, but they're not. They're both true. It's two things that appear to not work together, but they actually do. Here's the first paradox that James gives us this morning. It's simply this. Poor Christians are really rich. So again, our first paradox, these things that seem contradictory, is a poor Christian is really rich. Now look at how he does this first paradox. Look at verse 9 again. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now this paradox that the poor are actually rich only applies to followers of Christ. This is not a general principle for all of humanity. This is speaking specifically to Christ followers. Notice the important word here in verse 9, the brother. This is one of James's favorite terms It includes men and women both, but this is how he refers to people in Christian community who are trusting in Christ alone is their Lord and Savior. And literally in verse 9, our English translations have changed it for flow, but brother comes first. If you wanted to translate this verse literally, it would be, be, let the brother, the lowly boast. And so James's emphasis here is addressing followers of Christ. If you're in Christ, he is speaking to you. Now, in his first paradox, he's speaking to poor Christians. Notice the word lowly, it let the lowly brother. Lowly here is used in the sense of low socioeconomic status. Lacking money, lacking the things that money buys. You could translate this, let the poor Christian. That'd be a perfect rendering of this particular text. And if you remember from the context from a few weeks ago, this would be most of James's original audience. He was writing to believers who had been scattered from their homes in Jerusalem. Because of persecution against Christians, they had to move away. They left their homes, their jobs, their family, their friends behind. They were starting over from scratch all across the Mediterranean region. They were oppressed by other Jews because they believed in Christ. They were oppressed by Gentiles over racial prejudice. They had nothing. And so he's writing to people who were at the bottom of the socioeconomic status at the time. And it was a particular temptation for them. But friends, it's not just for them. It's a temptation that can apply to any follower of Christ, even if you're not in dire poverty. It's a temptation when there's things that you want materially that you lack. that temptation that they face, that you and I can face as well, is a temptation to become discontent when we don't have what we want to have. And that discontentment grows and it becomes covetousness where we begin to long for it and we get consumed with it. And it becomes us putting our hope in those things where we have the mindset, I'll just be happy if I get that, and we fill in the blank. There's a second temptation that Christians who are lacking can face. That is they can actually despair as well, feel like their lives are insignificant, feel like God doesn't care in the midst of this. Whether the temptation is to be discontent and covet or whether the temptation is to really to be insecure in these things and both of them the root problem james is showing us is that we're evaluating our lives based on material things and james is saying if you're a follower of christ who's lacking material things that you wish you had don't think that way don't go there you need a different perspective on your life than evaluating it based on your stuff or your lack of stuff and what is the perspective he wants them to have not to try harder to get more stuff, not to try to remedy necessarily their financial problems here. He wants them to do something different. It seems strange to us at first glance, but look at what he says in verse 9. What the lowly brother boast. Now, this word boast here to us seems a little bit offensive at first, but he's not talking about sinful boasting here. This is not the, everyone, look at me, I'm amazing. Boasting here is used in the sense of rejoicing in something, glorying in something. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans when he talks about, in Romans 5, about, about taking joy in our sufferings, to rejoice in our sufferings, to boast in our sufferings. So this is, if you're a Christian who's lacking stuff, what should you do? You should boast, you should be rejoicing, you should be, you should be rejoicing in something. And what is that? He said, in your exaltation. Exaltation literally means height, and your high position. So here's the paradox. He says, if you're a Christian who's lacking material things that the world says you need and that you wish you had, he says, take... Pride in, boast in your high position. The world says you're low, but in reality you have a high position. And what is the high position of this paradox? Well, look on the screen at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Regardless of our material wealth or lack thereof, what is our position that's so high? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Friends, regardless of what we have or don't have, James is reminding us and Paul is reminding us that what we need to evaluate our life based on is not stuff and not how the world sees us, but how God sees us as his child as an heir with Christ, that we belong to God, that we are a child of the king, that we're adopted by God and we're heirs with Christ. That means we have an inheritance. We have more to come after this short life is over. It's a reminder the day will come when we are forever with God And we see him face to face. We're forever in God's presence, delighting in his presence, abiding with him when we're free from pain and sickness and temptation and trials and all that. All that will come. But in the meantime, we already get a glimpse of that inheritance in this life, regardless of the trials and how easy or hard life is. That we already have his presence. We already have his joy. We already have his peace. We already have hope. We already have purpose. We already have, in the words of Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And friends, if we can keep that perspective, it changes how we view ourselves. The very next verse of Romans, verse 18 of chapter 8. Look at what it says. For I consider that the present, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what James is saying. The world may say you're poor. The world may say you're lacking. You may not have all the stuff that you want, but the lack that you have, the sufferings of this present time, are not even worth comparing What's still to come? He's saying, poor Christian, you are actually very rich because you have an inheritance far beyond anything you can even comprehend or imagine. Back to James 1.9. In James' word, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The person who's lacking needs to ask the question, what is more important to me? Getting out of my lack or knowing God and delighting in Him? But there's another danger for money, and it's the opposite one, and it comes for the Christians who have financial resources. And James is going to give a paradox here to help Christians who have the material things they want to think about their lives as well. So if the first paradox is poor Christians are really rich, the second paradox is the exact opposite. Rich Christians are really poor. The rich Christians are really poor. Again, notice how James describes this in verse 10. Let's just start with the first phrase of this. And the rich and his humiliation. Now, I need to be honest with you. There's a debate about this verse. And about half the scholars I like say one thing, but half say the other. And that's always a frustrating week studying when people are divided over a particular issue here. If you, in, Some of your translations may fill in some words here. Some of your translations may say, and the rich brother boasts in his humiliation. Some may say, and the rich boast in his humiliation. In the Greek, the word brother and boast do not appear here. The ESV translates it very accurately here, the rich in his humiliation. That has led some people to conclude that the word rich here is speaking to rich lost people. And this is not what I think, but some scholars would argue that James is making a contrast between the poor Christian and the rich lost people of the world. And so he's making a contrast. I don't think that's what James is doing here for two reasons. One, in the Greek, it's very natural to let the the previous phrase kind of guide the next phrase. And so you can easily fill in the blank with let the rich brother boast. That's very correct in Greek to do that. But also, if you notice here, he says that the rich will, in this phrase, will pass away. Nowhere in Scripture is pass away ever used in terms of judgment. Pass away is just simply a description of the the frailty of life and things fading and people dying. It's never used in a judgment sense. So I am convinced this is not a text about judgment coming to the rich lost people who oppress the poor. But this is rather James still addressing his audience, which are Christians here. Just as there was a danger for Christians who lack things to be tempted, there's a danger here for Christians who have things to be tempted as well. He's addressing believers who are faced with the blessing of material possessions, success, money, and all those things. Again, he's not saying that having those things is bad, but he's saying there is a different temptation if you have material blessings. There's a different temptation you face that you need to be aware of and you need to change your perspective just as so much as the poor person who's lacking needs their perspective change. And the temptation is to view money in the wrong way. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 kind of gives us a hint of, I think, what James is trying to do here. In 1 Timothy 6, we're told, for the love of money is the root of all kind of evils. Now, let's be clear here. Again, it doesn't say that money is the cause of all the evils, or that even money is the root cause, but it's the love of money. It's the idolatry of wealth, the idolatry of getting more stuff, the pursuing your life after this, t- this stuff in this life. That's where so many temptations and evils come through. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he goes on and says, It is through this craving, notice that we're craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. I think that's what James is driving at for us back here in verse 10 when he tells the rich in his humiliation. There's a temptation the rich face, and that is to trust their money for the future instead of trusting God. They're craving for some type of stability, but not looking to God for it. They're looking to their money for it. They're finding joy in the stuff they have instead of finding joy in God. They're finding their identity in their material stuff instead of in God. And they're thinking even much about themselves because of all that they have. And James is saying, if you're a follower of Christ who's been blessed with material things, don't think that way. Don't go there. He says you need to have a counter perspective. Look back at verse 10 here. And the rich, and I'll add the word brother, boast in his humiliation says, don't boast in your money. God's blessed you with money and success and those things. Don't boast in that. Don't rejoice in that. You need to boast in your humiliation. Now that doesn't sound good, does it? What is he talking about here? Well, he's doing a contrast for us. If the lowly are to boast in their exaltation, that means their high position, he's contrasting that. Humiliation here means low position. He's saying if you're rich, you need to boast, you need to rejoice in the fact that you actually are very low in God's eyes. The world may think you're high, you have a high position because you've got it all, and the reality, you know in your heart, you're Low. This is the gospel buried in the beginning of the first chapter of James. Because money cannot get us to God. Success cannot get us to God. Our works, our position, none of those things can get us to God. Those don't earn favor with God. The only way that we can come to God is by taking a low position, by humbling ourselves, by realizing that no matter what the world thinks of us, no matter if the world thinks that you're successful and a good person who's done honest hard work and made all this money, in God's eyes that's nothing. Because we, God owes us nothing here. And so the only way to come to God is a low position to realize that we've offended God. That we've broken His commandments. We've sinned against Him. We've offended Him. We're separated from Him. And we deserve judgment. We deserve hell. We deserve nothing from God except for judgment. So we come to God from a low position. We don't come to God to earn our way to Him. God, look at what all I'll give to you if you do this for me. We can't do that. We can't even bargain with God. We come to God not demanding, God, I'll follow you if you give me This job, this house. We we come to God with nothing, but from a low position, going, God, I've offended you. I have nothing to offer you. Please show mercy on me. The only way we can come to God is from a low position. And honestly, Scripture tells us that's why so many rich people don't follow God. If you look throughout the culture, the people of success and influence and money and the celebrities, the vast majority that we see on the news and the fill our TV and airways don't know God. Why? Well, Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. In Matthew 19, 24, Jesus says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that, friends? Because rich people is so easy to, to trust in their money, to trust in their success, to trust in all these things, to find their duty that. Instead of humbling themselves and saying to the Holy God, I am nothing. All this before me in my banking accounts." And my portfolio is nothing, God. I have nothing. Please have mercy on me. This text doesn't mean rich people can't come to faith in Christ because Jesus continues, verse 25. His disciples go and ask him, who then can be saved? And look at what Jesus says in verse 26. But Jesus looks at him and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Why? Because God gives grace to the rich and the poor. To, so they can humble themselves before God and cry out for mercy friends, if we are in Christ, we started there. None of us started out in our faith we're like, God, I am so amazing. Please come get me because I'm going to help you so much. We don't start there. We start from a low position. But the temptation for Christians that we start out in a low position, if we have material blessings, is easy to lose sight of that low position that we start from. It's easy to become self-confident and self-reliant and proud and selfish. And James says, no, don't, don't go there. If you are rich you know, the only thing you can boast in is not anything you have. The only thing you can boast in is your low position. That you've come to faith in Christ because you've cried out to mercy for him and he has saved you on that. Because this is not a new idea. James, in a sense, is repeating something that the prophet Jeremiah said some 500 years before Jesus came. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. I want you to hear how it said there. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast, again, rejoice in glory in his riches. Verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness of the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so the question that James is bringing to our attention, the same one that Jeremiah had pushed to the attention of people then, what is more important to us? Knowing God, knowing the God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness, the God who wants to delight in us as we delight in Him, is it more important to know Him or is it more important to get the things of the world? What do we spend more time doing, friends? Growing our earthly wealth or growing the knowledge of God? Delighting in the stuff we have or delighting in a real relationship with God? So James is saying whether or not you have much money or not, rethink those material things. If you don't have money, remember what you do have in Christ and what's still to come. If you do have money and financial resources, remember that that those things are not as important as knowing God. Friends, this truth is so important. He doesn't just tell us this in these two paradoxes. He illustrates it for us with a very powerful example here. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 10 of James 1. How he takes this truth and helps us get an image around this. Verse 10, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. But this is a reminder of the reality that we don't like to think about. And that's every single one of us is going to die soon. But the day is coming that all of us will pass away here, that we will die. And when we die, friends, our bank accounts aren't going to make any difference to us at that point. The size of our house won't make any difference to us at that point. All the stuff that we have spent our life pursuing is not going to make a difference at that point. I love how the psalmist said and We went through the psalms. This is one of the psalms we didn't get a chance to teach through. Maybe one day we'll get back to some. of But Psalm 49 Verse 16 and 17. It's a fascinating verse. Psalm 49, verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. And then verse 17. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. And I love the directness of the psalmist here because it reminds us of that truth that, friends, all these temporal things of the world they can't go with us when we die. They won't help us in any way when we stand before God. And these are the things that the poor are tempted to covet and want and that the rich are tempted to rely on. Whether you're rich or poor, these things that we spent our life wanting, houses, cars, technology, fame, money, collections, entertainment, they will be meaningless and useless to us when we die. And yet we spend our lives often chasing after these temporal things that will pass away rather than seeking treasures that will last for all eternity. The treasures of knowing God the treasures of serving Him that leads to rewards in heaven, the treasures of making Him known so that other people come into a relationship with Him. So James reminds us of these things that so often we consume our thinking in our lives and we try to build our lives on, they're going to pass away when we pass away. They're not going to do us any good. But it's not just that they won't go with us. They won't satisfy us now either. Look at verse 11 because he, he grows on this imagery as well. For the sun rises with its scorching heat And it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now notice it's not pass away. It's not death this time. It is fade away. It's the idea of stuff breaking and losing its beauty and all this. It's a reminder to us that the material things we often spend our lives either longing and wishing we had. We spend our lives delighting in because we do have them. It's a temptation for rich and poor here alike. And those things that we often focus our thoughts on will fade like a flower in a desert wind. Isn't that what happens to all of our stuff? I mean, husbands, if you bring home flowers to your wife and spend a lot of money in this beautiful bouquet, what happens within a week? They start withering. They start dying. Petals start falling. They fall apart. They literally fade right before your eyes. The, ha- the dream house you get, you invest in. Next thing you know, you got a crack in your foundation. Your roof is leaking. Termites get in. I mean, on and on. It goes, right? Even the dream houses start fading they fall apart that great car you got it breaks down or it gets wrecked that new technology new iphone the phone screen cracks your hard drive crashes your accounts get hacked your clothes get holes in then weeds grow in your yard on and on we could go right everything fades everything breaks it won't last and the sobering reality is friends is we fade and break as well of you guys ever do that social media challenge where you take the picture of yourself 10 years ago and put it side by side with today it can be funny but the older you get it's not quite as funny is it because you look at that 10-year-old picture and go, I'm fading and I'm breaking also. Everything around us in God's grace is a reminder that these things won't last forever. Every time your house breaks, your phone breaks, your car breaks, your computer quits working, you look in the mirror, you see that 10, the picture from 10 years ago. It's a reminder in God's grace that these are not the things that will last. And James is saying, open your eyes and look around this life is temporary. This life is fading. That money that you think you have is temporary and fading. Those material possessions you have are temporary and fading. And look in the mirror. Yes, you yourself are temporary and fading in this life. And so whether you're rich or whether you're poor, don't run after those things. Don't run after fading things when God offers you something so much better. Notice how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Did you see this? In 1 Peter 1, 3, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then verse 4, look at this. He's given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and what's next? What is it? Unfading, Unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you see the contrast here? We are so prone, whether we're rich or we're poor, whether we have or whether we're lacking, to spend our lives in the pursuit of things that are fading. And God says, don't waste your life pursuing things that are fading. Pursue me and he will give us inheritance. It's imperishable. It cannot die. It's undefiled. It's pure and it's unfading, unlike all these things of the world. But friends, doing that is hard. So what's the hope for us? We'll go back to James chapter 1, verse 5, what we saw last week. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Friends, let's apply that verse now to what we're seeing today. We need to ask God for wisdom to view money and material things correctly. If we find ourselves lacking money and material things that that we wish we had, we cry out to God and say, God, give me wisdom. My heart is longing more for these things than for you, God. Reorient my priorities. Give me wisdom for how to live my life. And give me wisdom so I can delight in you more than stuff. And, friends, when God blesses people with material things, likewise we need to go to God for wisdom and say, God, give me wisdom. You've given me money. You've given me these things. Help me love you more than I love this stuff. Help me have my identity in you, not in this stuff. Help me put my security in you, holding my future, not this stuff. And God, you've given it to me. So God, give me wisdom to know how to use this for you because I can't take this with me. Help me steward this well. And friends, the beauty of the promise of verse 5 as it applies to money. It's when we ask for wisdom of how to view money correctly or how to use it correctly, God gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Friends, we cannot manufacture this perspective. We cannot manufacture a view on stuff that sees it as fading and temporal apart from the grace of God. Our flesh doesn't want to view money that way. The world around us bombards us with messages contrary to that. Marketing all around us is designed to stir discontent in our heart. We are bombarded with messages, and in our own heart there's messages that want to view money in the wrong way. But there's hope for us. James chapter 4, verse 6. What's the hope that our perspective can change? But he gives more grace. Friends, when you and I cannot manufacture the right view of stuff and material things, God gives grace. And he invites us just to come to him and ask him for wisdom so that we can view it correctly. To come ask him for grace to view it correctly. So friends, back to our question. What is more important to us? Knowing God or having the things of the world? Perhaps we could ask it this way. Are we asking God for wisdom and grace to help us love him more than are we asking God for wisdom and grace so that we do love Him more than the things of the, this world? And friends, my prayer for myself and for you this week is that God will reorient our perspective on wealth and things and stuff to where we long for Him more than we long for the things of the world. To where every time we see the reminder of how fading the stuff is in the world, it be a reminder to us to run after the one who is overall and the one who has an inheritance for us that is Unfading. I pray that he will give us much grace and much wisdom to steward well what we have for his purposes. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your word that speaks to so many of our life issues, showing us what it means to follow you and how to walk out and live out our faith. And Lord, we're thankful that you leave no stone unturned, even digging into our hearts about how our hearts view money. Whether we have or we don't have, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we have an abundance or whether we're lacking, you still dig in and point us to our heart and turn our hearts towards you. And God, we ask for much grace in this Lord. We confess we cannot manufacture the right perspectives on wealth and money and stuff, or apart from your Holy Spirit working in us. So we I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters this week, Lord, that you would give much grace to us, your children. The ones that you've chosen, that you've adopted. That you predestined, that you've drawn to yourself, God, that you would look upon us, Lord, and not leave us lost in our sin, not leave us lost in wrong views of finances. But God, would you be merciful to us and turn our hearts to see that knowing you is more important than anything this world has to offer. Lord, this week as we see the, the reminders of the weeds popping up and the things breaking and all that, Lord. But I pray we wouldn't go frustrated or Lord have wrong attitudes, but Lord, it would turn our hearts to worship and praise that you're the God who's sovereign over all and knowing, God, that you have an inheritance for us that won't fade and break like all this stuff around us. So God, would you give us much grace upon grace this week to have our heart affections turn to wanting you more than any other desire that we have. And as we do that, we know then you'll give us wisdom to know how to appropriately approach those other desires, to walk out our faith in all these practical issues of life so that you get all the glory and we find the joy and we ask it in Jesus' name. And then would you stand as we sing our closing song?